Welcome to the Vocation Creation Podcast, helping you create the work you can't wait to wake up to do. Get inspired by people who have designed their own unique vocation and entrepreneurial experts sharing valuable information on starting and growing your business. Now, here's Jennifer Wendell with Vocation Creation. I am so delighted to welcome to the Vocation Creation Podcast today, Kara Parrish, a marketing and personal branding specialist who has had 36 uh, separate businesses in her lifetime, currently five. And uh, Kara, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about what you do? Sure. So I'm one of those people with that worst job title that no one wants to hear. I'm an entrepreneur (laughs) when everyone says that's not a job title, but it's very difficult to describe if you're just a creator of things, but that is what I am. So I started my first business when I was 18 and never stopped after that. I got a bug for it and have a bug for it to this day. So in my marketing agency, I build personal brands in their businesses. So yeah, that's, that is what I do. I love encouraging people into entrepreneurship to take that leap and to help design a life that they want to live. So I think this podcast is something that has a mission very close to my heart. So what compelled you to start your consulting business and coach people into entrepreneurship? How did it get started? I had been working with marketing agencies and I was consulting for some really big companies Fortune 500 companies as a millennial marketing expert for them to talk to millennials in my early 20s. And I was really frustrated doing corporate consulting. I didn't enjoy the atmosphere. I didn't feel like my work had impact. I felt like a lot of what we were doing was throwing dollar signs around for eyeballs for the attention. And it just, it didn't feel right. And I should have been very happy. Everyone else who heard about my career was very happy for me. And they were all very celebratory. You're so successful. You're so young. And um, you're in all these interesting cities all the time. And I had to be like, I don't see any of these cities. I see meetings and I don't And uh, I don't see any of these cities. I only see boardrooms and meeting halls and I'm always working and I don't love what I do anymore. I love marketing, but I didn't actually love the marketing work that I was doing. And so I was so frustrated and I was like, there has to be a better way to do this. And it happened to just be as everyone was starting to realize the impact of social media for influencers. And it was when all of these entrepreneurs and uh, business leaders were starting to have as much impact as celebrities, as sports stars and things like that. And so I saw this opportunity in this niche space to take these visionary people and to let them expand on the products and services, the type of businesses they were able to build as personal brands. Because as a millennial, I had always known being famous on the internet. We had MySpace. Um, we I were loved the, MySpace. <laughs> right? Yeah, we had MySpace. We had been on Facebook all our lives. We had been on AIM. I, it was already native for me. So it was taking um, this generation above me and saying, I can take these skills and this marketing background 
and I can build you the personal brand that you want in order for you to actually be able to live out whatever your visionary ideas and dreams are. Nice. And that's what the agency was born. Terrific. How do you do that for people? What are some of the services that you provide to help people get to their dream? Sure. So we offer a full stack digital marketing. So that's web design, web development, social media marketing, communication marketing, email marketing, SMS marketing, chatbots, that type of thing. I like to say that if it involves your presence on the internet, that's what we do. <laughs> Good way to put it. Right? Yeah, it's the easiest way to explain it. We have a podcast network inside the agency. So we work with a lot of podcasters and we also have a publishing house inside the agency. So we've got 42 bestsellers under our belt inside the agency and our network has over 2 million podcast listeners. And this is all yours. Wow. Me and many people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How many people are on your team? There are 36 people in the agency. Wow. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yes, I can't take credit. I, I'm mostly the, the mouthpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody has to be, right? You right. do what you're best at. Let everybody else do the rest. <laughs> yes, that is my forte. I'm mostly the mouthpiece, but those 36 people, they're all miracle workers and they make all this happen. That's so. amazing. So clearly you're a person who's not afraid to jump into something new with both feet. Uh, a lot of people get a little scared, though, and they think that maybe starting their own business is almost inevitably going to end in failure or that there is no way that people will pay them for something that they really love to do. Uh, why do you think that so many people give up before they even try? And what advice do you have? I think that's general fear of the unknown. And that's, that's not even specific to entrepreneurship, right? It's the fear to move to a new city from where you've always known or the fear to start a new relationship. The fear of the unknown is a, a survival fear for humans. So that's so ingrained in, in us as a species that having to overcome that is a full mental shift, right? A, a whole different mentality of saying, these things though, even though I have fear of them, they're not gonna break me. The worst case scenario still isn't that bad, but the best case scenario is really good. It's worth the risk. It's worth taking that leap. And entrepreneurship isn't even that wild of a leap anymore. It used to be that entrepreneurship was you quit your high-end job, you took out a big loan, you started a company, and then you everything was on the line, right? And now entrepreneurship is hopping on the internet and starting a freelancer position. And you're doing it two hours a day in the evening. And that's how you start entrepreneurship. So a lot of the risk uh, has been mitigated now. So there's this massive opportunity, even for people who have a lot of fear of the unknown, to just stick their feet in the water and see how they like it. And inevitably, a lot of people like it. <laughs> there's a lot of advantages to this lifestyle. There's a lot of advantages to remote work, as we're seeing in the pandemic. Everyone's suddenly realizing, hey, this is a great way to be. This is a great way to work. I get to, especially for women, mothers that get to be home with their children. And so all of a sudden there's this realization that, hey, this has been a great way to work all along. And we're seeing the number of freelancer sites just going up and up in an economy where unemployment has gone up as well. So it's interesting to see this shift happening. Less and less people 
being afraid of the unknown or at least being pushed to a point where they're willing to, to take the, the leap. They're out of their job for right now or whatever it may be, and they're willing to dive in and they're having success and it's going good and it's, it takes a little while. If they can do it, so can you. I really like what you said about how sometimes it's just a couple hours a day. I think there are people who assume that you can't call yourself an entrepreneur if it's a side hustle or if it's something that you do part-time or if it's something that you're trying the waters or if you do something that's not having to do with venture capital, like maybe you want to get into life coaching or something like that. It sounds like you believe this all falls under the umbrella of entrepreneurship. There's no wrong way to cut a cake it's always going to taste like cake. <laughs> like, do what's right for you. It doesn't matter what someone else used to define that. I know like Seth Godin famously tells people they're not entrepreneurs all the time. Frankly, like who is he to say? It's, it is what you make of it. If you are paying taxes for it, then that's your job title. It's that simple. I and love it. Just do it your way. And that's okay. That's all entrepreneurship is about as well as you do things your own way. That's innovation. Yeah. If you innovate, you take risks, you, you experiment, you play a little bit, try something new. Have fun. Yeah. I like that. That's my new favorite saying now from here on out. <laughs> There's no wrong way to cut a cake. <laughs> it applies to a lot of things. In it does. Life. And yeah, and, and I also just as a side note, I like the thought of your vocation, whatever you build, your creative output that you put out there for someone to pay you for being cake. It is truly the, the dessert in life, or it can be the thing that you look forward to every day while you're working in the day job that supports you maybe. And then you get to have your dessert in the evenings and on weekends when you are in your element doing the job that you is driven by your own personal passions and motivations. Cake. Yep. I like it. <laughs> and I'm from an area where entrepreneurship was uncommon. It's very rural here. There's a lot of poverty here. And there's a lot of expectation that there's a, one particular job available. And that's kind of it. Uh, so this whole gig economy, remote work, entrepreneurship world that opened up, it is definitely like cake. Because <laughs> it's so wonderful to be able to design your life versus to versus having some life path laid out for you that you're just trying to make the best out of. Yeah, but so what's the best advice that you could give to someone who doesn't know where to start in creating meaningful work that's customized to their own unique skills and goals? I would start with what you love. What do you love to do? If someone called you up and they said, Hey, I'm, I'm anxious. Can you just talk at me for an hour? What could you talk at them for an hour about and not break a sweat? What would feel natural to you? What could keep you passionate and, and joyful about what you're talking about? Keep you interested for that hour. What is that? Because in that there's something right. There's some passion that's in there. There's something that's worth exploring because what your job is, is something that you're willing to do for two, four, six, eight, ten 10 hours a day. So it needs to be something that you can genuinely enjoy for day in and day out. So start there. What is that for you? And then this idea that you can craft any sort of a job. One of my favorite examples of this is if you go to Fiverr in the miscellaneous department, 
I cannot believe the things that people can and will do. <laughs> I love, there was a person who like does Lego um, animation, who I think I'm actually going to hire actually, as, as we, as I'm thinking about it, I might use that for like my YouTube videos, but yeah, like they'll animate any sort of little minifig into a little Lego configuration for you. And I'm like, oh, so cute. It's amazing. And who imagine being that person and someone's like, what do you do for a living? And you're like, oh, I animate Legos. <laughs> it's not the typical job that you're supposed to see at a career fair. Like it's the job that you design for yourself. But some of my favorite like gigs on there are things like I'll sing happy birthday to your mom for 20 bucks. Like it's people just make up things and whatever it is and they get paid for those things. And it's a perfect example of anything can become an occupation. It's just about looking at who needs what and seeing if you can fill that need. So if there's a thing that you're wildly passionate about that you could talk for an hour unprompted about, what is the biggest challenge in that industry? Where is there a gap? Where are people struggling in that thing that you're so passionate about? Go fix that. Go yeah. fill that hole. Be what serves that need. I would also say to not be afraid that there are other people filling a similar hole because everybody does it differently. I've talked to quite a few people who have marketing or marketing adjacent agencies, and not a single one is going to have Kara's personality. Not a single one is going to approach the problem and the solution the same way that Kara will. Um, and everybody has their style and their personality and has their own kind of secret sauce, as, as it's often said. And so maybe somebody would resonate with you who wouldn't like Joe's agency down the street. And then there's somebody else who's going to love Joe because he's like a hard charging down to earth uh, kind of guy who's a total bro. And maybe that's what somebody really resonates with. And that's great. So Joe and Kara, they each have their audience and the people who will love to work with them. So I, I don't think there's such thing as worrying about competition so much because you can also collaborate with people as well. Kara, you may specialize in something that Joe doesn't. So Joe might send his customers to you and then he might love to do something that you don't like to do and that your agency doesn't cover. So you send people to Joe. So I don't know, just another, I think, way that people psych themselves out from, yeah. if you go to Fiverr and there's 20 people who have adorable dogs who will sing you happy birthday in, in dog barks, and you've got an adorable dog who will sing happy birthday, you know what? Maybe someone is going to like your dog way better than all those other 20 dogs, and they're going to hire you because your dog's the cutest. <laughs> yeah, it's just finding your USP, right? Your unique selling position in that. So if there's a gaggle of cute dogs, then what makes your dog different? Is it maybe it's a Labra Schnauzer doodle thing and it's some sort of rare breed and you get to say, oh, look, I've got this like rare teddy bear dog thing. Like whatever your USP is, that's, that is what you use to set yourself apart in that market. But having no competition is actually a terrible place to be because that usually means that there's also very few people who acknowledge that they could be your customers. So there's two spaces that are, are very hard to work in, which is a very complicated or a very crowded space where you don't have your USP figured out yet or a space with no competitors at all because a space with no competitors at all is a space where that also means you've got a learning curve of teaching your customers why they need your product or service. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that you've got a learning curve versus if you're 
a marketing agency or a podcaster. People understand what that is and they have a comprehension for what they might be paying you for. And if you're doing something that has no competitors, you have to get over that learning curve of teaching people what they're paying you for. So yes. right there's a the two-step process. You have to teach first and then you have to deliver, but you can only deliver to the people who you've taught to who understand the process of what you're doing or the value of it. Yeah. It's a lot of extra work. <laughs> It's a, it's a tough space to be in, but not impossible. So I have lots of personal brand clients inside the agency that are doing things that are very unique and have really come up with their whole own lanes, their own names for what they do that, that didn't really exist in SEO terminology that we have to find SEO terminology that's parallel that we can attach on so that we start to teach people who are used to something similar how to uh, navigate this new industry. So it's possible. It's just more of an uphill battle, but down the middle where there's some competition, that's a great place to be. There's no fear there. That's a good place to be. That's where you want to be. Wonderful. What are some of the best free or low cost business building resources that you know of that you can recommend or that you apply yourself? Sure. So I would say something that gets overlooked all the time that is mostly free are business directories. And those are usually free. If they charge anything, it's usually under $20. They're very inexpensive. They're great for backlinks for SEO. But also if you can find niche business directories, then that's where you'll find customers searching to try to find people in your niche. So that's one that gets overlooked a lot. I honestly didn't even know those existed. I'm old. I was back on the internet in 1995. And business directories are a big thing in the late 90s, early 2000s. I truly did not know. So that is wonderful information. Yeah, that's a really commonly overlooked. I know, like we put it in proposals and I have prospective clients say, do I really need this? And I'm like, I, I just don't, can't imagine why you wouldn't take advantage of it. Can <laughs> you give know? an example of uh, where a person could go to get listed in a business directory? Because I know Yahoo back in the day was a huge one. They had Yahoo Business, but that has folded, hasn't it? Or is that still around do, that you know of? This is still around. It's just transformed because it's also their publishing house now. So Yahoo oh. Business their media wing. But I would say one that's wildly popular right now in the support of social justice has been Black Wall Street. Wildly popular right now. And that's all Black-owned businesses. And that's a business directory. And so many people now are heading over there to see how they can support Black-owned businesses. And yeah, that's just your your run-of-the-mill business directory. It's niche in who owns the businesses, but it's a run-of-the-mill business directory. So being a part of these is, like I said, it's usually free. If it, there is any cost, it's usually under $20 if there's a cost. And there's a lot of them for local businesses. So if you serve people in a, a physical way after the pandemic, then local directories are actually a really great place to be um, because people will want to support local businesses or not have to drive far. And there are still some people who don't realize all the services that are available to them online or just have a preference for in-person service. So if you are a coach or a, a business consultant of some kind, even if you don't have an office that you work out of, but you could meet someone out for lunch, you could buy a prospect lunch, then you're going to want to be in local business directories. It's very powerful for things like financial advisors, lawyers, uh, bankers, coaches, uh, that kind of thing. That's a great idea. So 
what would you advise a solo business owner to do if they've been plugging along and suddenly they, through a large contract or a grant or something like that, suddenly they have an extra $10,000, a large amount of money that they can funnel into marketing since marketing is, is your area of knowledge and expertise. And of course it depends on the client and their goals, but generally speaking, what would you advise business owners, solo business owners to do with a sudden influx of marketing cash? Save that. <laughs> Put that in your business savings. Don't spend that all on marketing. Uh, but yeah, if uh, some sort of a scenario where the safe amount that you normally would put aside for marketing would be around 25%. So if you say you took 25% out of that and you were going to put that towards your um, marketing needs, then what would be the best route would be to sit down and take a look at your client list. And you want to look at your clients with the highest lifetime value. So not clients who have bought with you once, but have bought with you over and over or have bought your highest ticket products or services. And you want to see how you acquired those customers. Was it through social media advertising? Did they come through your communication marketing, your email list, where they referrals? Take a look and see where those people came from, because that's the marketing strategy that you're going to want to spend that money on. You want to double down on what works. And it's fine to experiment with new things, but when you're experimenting with new marketing strategies, there are thousands and thousands of ways to market a business, especially if you're an online business. So knowing that you could experiment forever and spend a ton of money experimenting and find no success. <laughs> when you do go experimenting, you want to experiment in small doses and you want to see if it works. If it works, great. Double down on it. If it doesn't work, kill it with fire. Don't do it again. Don't hang out longer. It won't get better. I promise. I've been doing this for a decade. It will not get better. Kill it with fire. Move on, right? Double down on what is working for you and focus on spending your money there because that is how you're going to scale your marketing. Now, I noticed that you said your high ticket items. Do you generally recommend that entrepreneurs take that approach of having an entry level or what is often called tripwire type product where it's very inexpensive and then a mid-level product or service and then a high level product or service to ramp people up into your business? Or does that not really need to happen? It really depends on what type of a clientele you have, what type of a customer you have. If your customer base is very diverse, then you do want to have diversity in your product price points as well, because you have to consider what's affordable for your audience and what they're willing to pay. If you only serve high-end clientele, say you only, say you're an executive coach and you only work with executives that are in the multi seven figures, there's no point in you having a $17 product. But you're serving a completely different audience. And what you're going to do is cause a divide in your audience where all of a sudden you're going to be marketing to two different, very different groups of people with two very different types of language that they would want to be spoken to, probably very different challenges to overcome and very different uh, needs. So what you do is actually hurt yourself by spreading your product type too thin, and then you create splits and diverges in your audience that you have to figure out how you're going to manage that. And if you have a large marketing team who can do a lot of that segmentation for you, wonderful. If you are a solopreneur or you have a small team, that is very difficult to keep up with, right? It's difficult to run all that email segmentation on your own. It's difficult to um, be making sure that segmentation is always existing inside your ad sets for your social media marketing. 
it's difficult. So you can sometimes shoot yourself in the foot with that kind of standard cookie cutter, tripwire, mid-level product, high ticket approach. If, unless you have a very, again, if you have a very wide audience, which I have some people when they first come to us and you, we say, who's your target market? And they say, people between the ages of 25 and 65 who live in North America. So everyone, just everybody, like, because <laughs> that's a terrible. So you want to know who your niche is. And even when I say a, a very wide audience, I'm still saying you should know your niche. But if they have a wide income range, say they're just an interest-based niche, but the income range could still be very wide. Let's say you sell, let's say you teach vegan cooking. That could a- apply to a very wide income bracket. So for you, having a tripwire, a mid-level price, and a high-ticket price could still work really well because your consumer base is wide enough that they could all buy into that and you could work in that segmentation. I'm super interested in, in the concept of niching and niching down specifically to help you focus your uh, marketing budget. The concept of Uh, You serve a lot of different people, but you advertise or market specifically to one small type of your ideal client so that you can really focus that budget on on that ideal client and reach them that way. And so just taking your example of the vegan chef, do you feel personally as a marketing expert, would you advise a person who is a vegan chef and is trying to grow his or her business, would you advise them to actually niche down even further than that to say like a vegan chef um, who works with uh, menopausal women or a vegan chef who works with family meals for for the whole family, including young kids or a vegan chef that works with catering for wealthy people. Would you want your clients to further niche them, themselves and their own services beyond vegan chef? That really depends on the data. So a good marketer is always going to make decisions with data. A good marketer will understand that our, your gut can only carry you so far and they're going to want to make sure that they've got data that supports every decision they make. So if you're going to niche down, what we would do is we would look at your product line and we would see what's selling. And then we would go and look and compare the audience list. So you export the list of your customers. You pop that over into just a Facebook ad space would work perfect for this. And you go look at your audience insights for that ad set, right? And if you look at your audience insights and it happens to be that those are all, or you see an overwhelming number of people that are parents of children under the age of 15, then you have data to support niching down to vegan family meals. And then you would try out a, a new product or service for them, or you would even just try out content that was made specifically for them and see what the reaction is to that. If you get a really strong reaction, you all of a sudden see a spike in your click-through rate, you see a spike in the traffic to those pages, then you've got data that will justify the action of niching down. And so one of the biggest mistakes I see people make in the in niching down or trying to figure out their target audience, and I don't know who started teaching people this, but whoever it was, they needed to knock it off, is this idea that you sit down and you just dream up a human. Like you just sit down and you're like, my target audience or my ideal client, and her name is Sheila. She's blonde. She is 46 years old. She lives in this, like, 
that is your imaginary friend. That is not your ideal client. That's not how this works. Absolutely not. What you want to do is you want to go look at who has purchased from you. And if you're really new to this, like you say, you're brand new to entrepreneurship then you put some content out online and you see who engages with that. And that is how you form your target audience. You want to go with the people that are engaged engaging with it because this idea that you could dream up Sheila and Sheila is going to love what you're offering that just doesn't exist that that's not what the real world does I'm sure you couldn't fathom a Silicon Valley startup sitting down and dreaming up Sheila like that you would never fathom that they might try but they'll probably end up changing it down the road when they realize it's not working it wouldn't work out. And I see that a lot with personal brands is they, they don't necessarily treat their business the way that they would expect any other business to operate. And it creates friction and makes things a lot harder for them versus just treating your personal brand as a business the same way that you would assume a company would figure out who their target market is or what their next product or service is or how they would niche down like how does oreo pick their next oreo flavor it does not involve sheila i will tell you that much <laughs> think of yourself as a real business and treat yourself that way because that's how it's going to grow and I appreciate that you actually brought in a little information for people who don't have that actual uh, historical data to be able to draw on because maybe they are new. Putting out content is such a smart idea to see who responds and in what ways. Where do you recommend that people go to put out content? Yeah, so if you are new to this and you don't have a following yet, then you want to go to a space where you already, there's already a large following built. So space is like medium, right? If you're the writer type, medium already has a large internal audience structure. It has a wonderful internal SEO function to it. You can get published in publications, even as an unheard of writer, your very first article ever. You can reach out to all the different types of publications that are inside of medium and you can get published without much effort in terms of having to go through a bunch of editors or things like that if you're the writer type. And if you can you, also publish yourself without actually being in a medium publication. You can use it as a blog and just put out your own content. Yeah. Yeah. And you can monetize it. So. Right. Win-win. Win-win. You can head over to a site like Medium, put some content out, and then see what the reaction is to that. And if you're struggling to get reactions, take some of the keywords and go to uh, – search sites like Reddit, like open forum sites like Reddit or Quora and type those words in, find people that are having discussions about that, take some of what you wrote, drop it in the discussion, see what the reaction is. If it's good, be like, okay, here, I wrote a whole article about this. Here's the link to it. Just get some traffic going back to that article with some people who are already interested and see if they bite, if they enjoy it, if they're leaving positive comments, if you get a lot of click-throughs. You can even see on Medium if people have scrolled down to read. So how much of the read time is happening there? And that's how you're going to justify where you want to go. Even if you're brand new, you have no following, no products, you've never been an entrepreneur before. That's perfectly fine. There's plenty of places out there that you can test the waters. And that's so smart because you're not asking them to buy anything or to go to your website. You're just like, hey, happened to write about this last week. Here's some more information if you love this information about creating vegan 
cooking for your family of three <laughs> with three kids under the age of 10 or whatever it happens to be. Or And if people don't respond to that, and then you throw another article out there on Medium and it's about uh, high-end vegan cooking for the executive suite <laughs> and people start really reacting to that, suddenly you've got yourself an itch, right? Potentially. Really good advice. And I do, I love both Reddit and Quora because you can find any topic under the sun, no matter how crazy or offbeat or unusual or niched your topic or interest is, there's somebody else talking about it who's absolutely passionate and willing to spend money and time um, giving you input on what they want in the world from that. There is somebody out there right now, probably hundreds of people who are right now Googling vegan family recipes, fast weeknight vegan dinners, those kinds of things. And it all happens uh, with Quora, of course, everybody's asking questions and then you can go and answer. And with Reddit, it's just like a big free flow conversation, right? Pinterest, if, if you are a vegan chef, please take it over to Pinterest. You'll be very popular over there. Head on over. It will cost you nothing to create a Pinterest account and to put some of your recipes up there with some nice photos. And then to just use keywords and let it do its work inside Pinterest, just save it to some boards, save some other things to the board that you want to make and just see what the reaction is over there. And you can use your Medium article to pin as your pin on Pinterest. So just drive the traffic right over to your Medium article, put your photos of your whatever the dish is that you're vegan chefing over there in your Medium and ta-da, right? Costs nothing, very easy to do. You don't need to be an expert. You could make the graphic on Canva, right? Like Love there's no, <laughs> so many tools that have made it much easier to get started. And the internet is a much more forgiving place now than it, um, I don't know. I guess we were very forgiving back in the AIM days where everyone wrote in like green glitter sparkles, <laughs> but the internet's a forgiving place in the context of DIY, right? Like we're, we don't instantly judge a blogger because they don't have the most attractive blog we've ever seen we are a little bit more open to yeah. the idea of DIY. Very encouraging in many ways, which is, is an interesting thing to say about the internet. But I have seen a very encouraging community when people are like, hey, I'm new to, we'll just keep going with the example of vegan cooking. I'm new to vegan cooking. I whipped up this recipe. Would love to hear what you guys think about it. There's so much support and encouragement. And then people saying, oh, and if you substitute flax for the quinoa, it'll actually taste like this or whatever. And then of course yeah. you get the troll that comes along and <laughs> and tries to ruin your day, but you just don't let them. Perfect example of this. If you okay. ever want to start a podcast, hop into, hop into any podcasting Facebook group. Be like, hi, I'm starting a podcast. Just watch the hordes come on you. Be like, ma, let us tell you how to podcast. Like, totally. That will happen every time. Every time. And it's, but it's a, in a supportive way. It's, hey, here's everything I learned take it and, and don't have the same like learning curve that I did or the same struggles that I did. This is my favorite microphone. This is my favorite setup. This is my favorite uh, recording tool. Like they'll come in and they'll give you all of that. And so if you go into a community and you let them know that you're new, then a lot of those people remember what it was like to be new and they want good for you most of the time. And even trolls, I think, do want good for you. They just have trouble expressing it. <laughs> Comes out wrong. <laughs> Very positive outlook. I like that. <laughs> Tell me something that you believe is true in business, particularly in marketing or just entrepreneurship in general, that almost nobody seems to agree with you on. Ooh, 
that's a lot of what I do. A lot, we're referral only marketing agency. And so that immediately causes this uh, commotion of like practicing what you preach. But I do have a large personal brand. I have over 400,000 followers on social media. So I, I've got that to back this up with. And then I, I get to have this conversation with them. The reason why I built my agency model this way was about integrity because I had come from this experience that had so little integrity that I wanted to build a business where integrity was crucial to the growth of the business. So making us referral only and the fact that only past clients or current clients or partners could refer people to us meant that I created a space where we weren't successful unless my clients were successful. If they didn't get a lot out of working with us. They weren't going to send people from their network to us. They weren't going to have that risk of possibly burning a bridge of sending someone who wasn't going to get ROI or would have a bad experience. So I built this concept out of the need to have integrity so that I was truly fixing um, the thing that was so broken in the consulting world that I had come from. And so I get to have this conversation with marketers and some of them are like, oh yeah, okay, I, I see that and, and I can get down with that. But then others are like, you know, that's a bullshit excuse. You just don't want to like do the admin <laughs> or like you don't want to like scale um, or whatever, all these things. And I'm like, well, you know, you're entitled to whatever you want to believe about that. But this is my way of doing it, even if it means that I'm very counter culture to the rest of my industry. You know, what it says to me is that you have the confidence in your process and your results that you know that you will create those wins for your customers and they will refer other people. It, to me, it says that you are bold and confident in what you do. Deservedly. Thank you. Thank you. That's those are bad adjectives to be associated with. But yeah, I, I, but I also, it's just, it also means that, that we have to be, right? Like my team has to deliver results. If we, if they want more hours, if they want better pay, if they want our agency to grow and have uh, more uh, rungs on the org chart appearing, right? If they want that to happen, then we have to deliver results because we are not structured in a business model way that could support doing any of that if they don't deliver. Right. Um, You're not so, bringing in a whole bunch of new clients to replace all the ones that aren't working with you anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't uh, or where we could, but we don't. Oh, right. Just um, like our our great advertising skills to just constantly bring people in and just have an influx and a high overturn. We have the longest a client's been with us of our current clients right now. He's been with us for seven years. So. Mm. They come, they stay, they refer. We have a good, strong relationship with our clients. But is it what most marketers do? No. Do they appreciate that I do it this way? No. <laughs> That's all right. Well, this is amazing information. I have one last question before we wrap up. In my opinion, there's a framework for building your perfect vocation that really covers five areas. First, you want to determine your own passion and purpose, what drives and motivates you. Uh, second, you want to de define your ideal work environment and structure, how and where and when you work. Uh, third, you identify your ideal client. Fourth, you figure out how to get found by your ideal client. And then fifth, you refine. You refine your product or your service until it fits both you and your client perfectly. So 
of those five steps, which area do you think personally is the most important to truly succeed in business and what can people do to improve in that area? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I would actually say number two. So the way that you want to work, what that feels like and looks like for you. And it's not that that can't evolve as well, but with number one, I see a lot of people who, and I help people do this all the time and there's no, no harm in it, but you know, your, your passions are a vehicle for your purpose. That's a dove bearing quote, but you can have a lot of passions inside of one purpose. So you will see people who kind of branch out, have new verticals, do a whole new thing, especially personal brands, right? They get like a wild hair. They wake up one morning. My, my clients are big visionary types. So it's not unusual for us to get a call on Tuesday morning and the client to say like, Hey, so I had this really great dream on Friday and I made a clothing store over the weekend. Like that happens. Right? And they're like, I learned how to use Shopify. Do you want to see it? Like that happens all the time to us. Right? It's like my life. Like, I heard <laughs> I heard it from Dobby. I have five new courses. And we're just like, whoa, okay, slow down, slow down. Um, but that happens all the time, right? And it doesn't mean that they're not operating in their purpose. There's just a lot of passions inside of that purpose. So that can transform and evolve really quickly, especially if you're a visionary type. And in terms of like finding your ideal client, I see that evolve all the time too. Like when we were talking about the the niche examples earlier for that vegan chef, right? That can evolve pretty quickly. And how you find your clients, that evolves with your clients. So there's a, there's a lot of evolution in all of this, but I think it's very difficult to, or it's, I think it's a slower process to evolve the way that you like to work because that's a change in your lifestyle, in your habits, in your routines, right? Things that are so integral to mental health and so integral to um, feeling good about what you do truly. Right. So like I've, I've been self-employed and a remote worker for so long that I think if someone like put me in an office and they were like nine to five, I just, I'd wither like a, I'd be like a cactus. Someone poured like a bunch of water into, I would just <laughs> go down. Like I, I wouldn't function well, you know, it's not my lifestyle. It's not my habit. It's not my routine. And so th I think that's something that um, is maybe often overlooked and was a, a really, really good point. And I like that you put that so high up there because that is really important. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Just some insights I've developed over the past, you know, couple of weeks as I decided to take this giant leap into podcasting, like the clients you're describing. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Kara, you are an absolute delight. I hope to talk to you again in the near future. And in the meantime, where can our listeners connect with you online? Absolutely. So I'm Kara Effin Parrish on every social media platform. It's very easy to find me. I'm very loud, uh, vocal, and there's very few redheaded, blue-eyed uh, creatures wandering around the internet. So it's pretty easy to locate me. If you uh, just search Kara Effin Parrish anywhere, you'll find me pretty quickly. And you can always go to karaparish.com, and that's how you can check out what the agency is working on. 
if you're a podcast host or if you want to be a guest on a show, we have a free service too, Podcara. It's like uh, you, we found each other on Matchmaker FM. It's very similar to that, um, but there's a it's an algo based, so it's a little bit like um, it's Matchmaker FM met Match.com. It's a little more like that, uh, nice. but it's out there. It's it's a free service during the pandemic because everyone started podcasting during the pandemic just to, for sanity. Right. Um, I, a lot of us just were like, if I don't talk into this microphone, then I'm just talking to myself in this room. <laughs> so I'm going to talk into it so someone else hears this later and then I'm not crazy. <laughs> so. Right. At least somebody hopefully will hear me. <laughs> I'm not just talking in an empty room. Right. Yeah, so so we made it free for out, throughout the pandemic. So you can, um, even if you're like me and you're not a host, but you just guest on podcasts, you can pop on over there, put in your information, and there's a new match sent to your inbox every week based on the criteria that you put in. So head on over to podcara.com, P-O-D-C-A-R-A.com, and you can uh, sign up there. Start I'm going to do that out. right now. Perfect. I can't wait. Can't wait to see who I match with. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Oh, Kara, I can't wait to talk to you again. Best of luck with everything. And uh, I appreciate your time so much today. Thank you. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Vocation Creation Podcast. Join me each week for inspiration and motivation to do the work you can't wait to wake up to. I'm Jennifer Wenzel. Find more at vocationcreation.com.